Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15. Amen. I take it you were well taken care of in our absence. Amen. Would you like to be blessed by Evangelist Diggs once again? Amen. Amen. She said she had a real good time. Amen. Glory to God. Now, since today is family day, I want to minister on focus on the family. Amen. Focus on the family. Why? Because God is about families, folks. And even a church is made up of families. Come on, say amen, somebody. And there are certain things we should be focusing on when it comes to family. And I'm not just talking about your immediate family, but also your church family. Let me say it again. I'm not, not just talking about your immediate family. I'm also talking about your what? Church family. When we talk about focus, the word focus, according to dictionary, means the center of interest or activity. It's an act of concentrating interest or activity on something. Let me say it again. The word focus means the center of interest or activity, an act of concentrating interest or activity on something. Here in 1 Samuel 9, 15, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Glory to God. Leading up to this time, Israel no longer wanted to follow a cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night. They wanted a king like everybody else. They wanted somebody they could see, feel, hear with their natural ears and natural eyes. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now Saul at this time had no idea God had chosen him. His father had lost some donkeys, and he sent Saul out and his servant to find these donkeys. Are you with me out here? Now they looked everywhere, but they could not find these donkeys. They spent all their money, come on, they spent all their food, or they ate all their food, and they were about, they were about to turn around and go back or go back home when the servant says, Saul, Amen. He said, Saul, there's a prophet over there. And they said that everything he says comes to pass. So let's go ask him about these donkeys. And I bet he knows where they're at. So Saul said, we have nothing to lose, so let's go. Then Saul said, but we don't have anything to offer him. Because why? When you came into the presence of a prophet, you never came empty-handed. Are you with me out here? So the servant said, I have a small piece of silver. Left over, let's see if uh, he'll take it. And they went to inquire about the prophet Samuel. Now, they didn't know that this was a divine appointment. They didn't know this was a divine heavenly setup. Come on, say amen, somebody. So here in verse 15, it says, Now the Lord had told Samuel to Samuel the previous day. When? When did the Lord tell Samuel? Come on, the day before. About, he said, about this time tomorrow... I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines. For I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. Then it says in verse 17, When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, That's the man. That's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. See, you don't know it. But God is speaking to somebody right now and saying, that's the man. 
Come on, that's the woman. Come on, say amen, somebody. That's the man or woman that will rule my people. See, they seen you before you even walked in the door. So verse 18, it says, Then just then Saul did what? Approached them in the gateway and asked, Can you please tell me where the seer's house is? He didn't know he's coming. He didn't know the prophets were standing before him. He said, I'm the seer, Samuel replied. He says, go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together. And in the morning, I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. But notice the first thing Samuel told Saul to do. Go to the place of, go to the place of, go to the place of worship. Because why? Because worship creates an atmosphere for the presence and the voice of God. Let me say it again. Worship creates an atmosphere for what? For the presence and what? The voice of God. You hear God more clearly after you worship God. In the middle of your worship, after you worship. Come on, say amen, somebody. Because why? There's something about worship. Well, God descends down and says, what do you want? What do you need? Come on, are you with me out here? But then in verse 20, it says, he says, don't worry about those donkeys. That were lost three days ago, for they have been found. Now he haven't even told Samuel what he came there for yet. But yet Samuel knew exactly what he was looking for and how long ago they were lost. Amen. But see, this is what God used to get him to the place where he could hear from God. Amen. Amen. Let me say it again. This is what God used to get him to a place where he could what? He could hear from God. See, you will have experiences of divine setups throughout your life. Come on. Well, you'll meet somebody at the right time. You'll end up someplace at the right time. Come on, are you with me out here? And you won't be able to give anybody glory but God. And see, that's going to happen more and more and more. Tell me I say more and more. And see, sometimes God will use all kind of methods to get you to a place where you can hear from him and receive divine wisdom concerning your family and your life. Matter of fact, some of you still don't know how you come to find this church. <laughs> come on, say amen, somebody. Come on, you look back and see how God orchestrated everything to get you here. Amen. But then the prophet tells Saul, you thought you came here to find your donkey, but God had other plans. <laughs> Amen. Don't worry about the donkeys because why? They've been found. But let me tell you why you're here. He says, and I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hope. He said, you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hope. See, that's a very serious charge, folks. He says, you and your family are the focus. You're the center of interest. You're the center of activity. You are the concentrating interest in this land right now. See, you and your family are the focus of all the body of Christ's hope and this world's hope. Everything revolves around you and your family, folks. 
And God has everything right upon you and your family. And that's why God is so adamant about family. And why he will uphold his definition of family. Come on, you with me out here? But he wants you to start acting like family. Let me say it again. He wants you to start what? Acting like family. And know the importance of family. Because why? The world is trying to redefine the family. And God wants to use the love and unity of a godly family. And make it the center of interest. The center of activity. And how or how a family is supposed to act and treat each other. Now, once again, I'm talking about your immediate family, and I'm talking about your what? Your church family. And this is something God wants us to focus on, folks. And see, we say we're focused on our family when we're working two and three jobs. We say we're working on our families when we, we have time for everything else but our families. Come on, we say we're working on our families when we spend countless amount of hours on social media. Talking about our families, but not spending time with our families. Oh, I'm preaching good in here. Come on, you don't know how many times people have said they don't serve in the church because it affects the time they have with their families. So they leave their church family hanging, doing all the work, while the truth is they're going home to lay out on the couch. And prop their feet on the table and watch TV doing something else not, that's not even family related. But I'm doing it for my family. I can't do it because of my family. And see, we have two families to always consider, folks. Your immediate family and your church family. Because the family is the focus of any community's hope. Oh, you follow me? It's the family. Tell your neighbor the family. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. I'm going to read this from the International Standard Version. Because he's saying this is what family does. This is how family treat each other. This is how family acts. Verse 14 starts off, bless those who persecute you. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and then it says, keep on blessing them. And never curse them. That's the International Standard Version. It says, bless those who persecute you. Keep on blessing them and never curse them. In other words, what's the things you say about family? And always be a blessing to family whenever you get an opportunity. Somebody say be a blessing. And if they turn on you, don't you turn on them. No, he's saying here, you just keep blessing them. I don't care how ugly they can get. Because we know family can get ugly. You know that in your own house. So family, if you go to family unions, family unions, they can get ugly. But he said, bless them what? Anyway, he said, bless them what? 
Anyways, then he says in verse 15, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. In other words, be happy about the success of family, not envious. If they're rejoicing because they just got a new car, don't get jealous. Rejoice with them because yours is next. Come on, they're rejoicing because they were recently promoted. Rejoice with them. Come on, if they're rejoicing because their child was on the honor rolls and yours wasn't, rejoice with them anyway. Come on, say amen, somebody. But then he says, cry with those who are crying. In other words, don't look at them and say, you should be over that by now. You know how we get religious folk get. Come on. Maybe they should be over it. But that gives you the opportunity to minister to them with love, folks. But you can't do that if you're so callous and you think you have arrived and become this spiritual giant. You should be sensitive to the hurts and pains of family. Let me say it again. You should be sensitive to the hurts and pains of what? Family. Not always trying to be judgmental of family. Too many Christians are trying to judge. With the same judgment you judge somebody else, they said you're going to be judged with the same thing. That's why he said don't be judging people. Nobody in here has arrived. I said again, nobody in here has arrived. Just because you got you, you delivered in this area, but I guarantee you if I walk around with you long enough, I'll find some areas that you haven't been delivered in. Amen? Verse 16 says, live in harmony with each other. Do not be arrogant, but associate with humble people. Do not think that you are wiser than you really are. <laughs> Do not think you're wiser than you really are. Don't think you're all that and some. Come on, say amen, somebody. Because I've learned, I've learned, one thing I learned, it says always look small in your own eyes. Always look small, what? In your own eyes. Matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says, don't, don't you sit up there and pat yourself on the back. That's all right for somebody else to pat you on the back, but don't you pat yourself on the back. Are you with me out there? Number se verse 17 says, do not pay back any back. Do not pay anybody back or anyone back with evil for evil. But then it says, focus your thoughts. On what is right in the sight of all people. Focus your sights what? Focus your thoughts on what is right in the sight of all people. Now this goes back to Philippians 4.8. We all know it. Where he says, finally my brethren. Whatsoever things are what? True. Whatsoever things are what? Honest. Whatsoever things are what? Just. Whatsoever things are what? Pure. Whatsoever things are what? Lovely. Whatsoever things are what? Of good report. If there be any virtue, there be any praise, do what? Think on these things. He says, focus your thoughts on these things, folks. Believe the best of every person. Let me say it again. Believe the best of what every... I, I'm not preaching for you to shut up and down and run around the church right now. I'm telling you about family. Now, going back to Romans 12, 17 from the International Standard Version. 
Once again, he says, do not pay back anybody. Do not pay anyone back with, an, with evil for evil, but focus. Somebody say focus. Focus your thoughts on what is right in the sight of all people. He says, focus your thoughts on what is right. But then he says, in the sight of all people. In other words, we have an obligation in the sight of all people. Let me say it again. We have an obligation in the sight of all people. Yes, when you said Jesus Christ coming to my life, you just begin to live in a glass house. And glass houses are very vulnerable to stones. <laughs> Anybody found that out? But that's what you signed up for. That's what you signed up for. Come on, when you said Jesus coming to my heart, you became a Christian. So that means you're required to act like Christians in front of people because you have an obligation in the sight of all people. Of course, get quiet this Presbyterian church. And this is what people should be seeing in your immediate family and your church family. Why? Because this is what draws people to be want to be to want to be a part of your family. Why? Because they see you functioning this way as a family. Somebody say family. And you'll find out, and I know from experience, as time goes by, families seem to get more distant from each other rather than closer to each other. I don't know about you, but when I was young, it seemed like my family was much tighter. And maybe it was because we were around each other so much. Come on, say amen, somebody. See, as a family, we stuck together. We did things as a family. And there were times when my dad would just say, let's just go for a ride. And we would all jump in that convertible Chevrolet Impala. And we would just ride around town. Come on. And just through the country and just let the breeze blow through our nappy head. <laughs> Come on, say amen, somebody. And to us, that was like a trip around the world. And it didn't cost anything but gas. And gas was what, 25 cents a gallon? Come on, say. Amen. And every once in a while, we would stop at the ice cream store. And we thought we was in heaven on earth. What was that? That was family. Somebody say family. And we found out the neighborhood... And some of your families are the same way. The neighborhoods, the neighborhood always wanted to hang around and be around our family. Why? Because our family was the focus of the neighborhood. But as we got older and start going our separate ways, I found out things began to start to dissipate. The closeness kind of changed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We weren't as together as we once were. I mean, we were cordial with each other, but that was, it just wasn't the same. And that's what happens in families, folks. We lose sight of what is important to God when it comes to family. 
We don't think on the things we should be thinking on. Oh, come on. We're all in our own little world as time goes on. And we totally forget about the focus of the family. And that's what happens even in the church family. Over time, people get on each other's nerves. In the church family. Why? Because people change. Tell your neighbor, people change. And see, sometimes the care is not the same. The attention is not the same. But guess what? It should be the same. Because we're all, because we're all, because we're all family. And guess what? You will not find a perfect family. Because the minute you join the family, you messed it up. But you want everybody else in the family to be perfect. But you never look at yourself. Saying that we're family. And see, to keep that bond together among, amongst each other folks, it takes us spending time together. It takes us loving on each other. Come on, say amen, somebody. And see, well, think about it. That's what family reunion is all about. See, at a family reunion, you do what? You reminisce. You, rem you reminisce about things you did together as children, both good and bad? <laughs> Come on. You talk about the good times you had together. And sometimes you break out the photo album. And just how look how stupid you did. You look back then. And you laugh at each other. Come on, say hey man, somebody. And then you start remembering how you acted back then. How they acted back then. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? At family reunions, you remember those that died. You talk about the funny things about them. What's it doing? It's family getting together so they can keep the unity and love flowing. Are you following me out here? And see, that should never stop. Tell your neighbor, that should never stop. Because why? Because of that. When, our, when we had our family unions in Dover, Ohio, we were, our family union was always the focus of the whole community, folks. People outside the family wanted to come to our family reunion. And see, God wants your family and the church family to be the focus of attention and the center of interest in the community. I have all him out here. Turn to Hebrews 3.1. But to do that, it's important to keep our focus on the right thing. So to what? So we will draw people to our family. Do what? Draw people to our family. Turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Are you getting anything out of this yet? Once again, I'm reading from the International Standard Version. Where it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partners in this heavenly calling. Notice it says, keep your what? Keep your focus on who? Jesus. Keep your focus. The key word is what? Focus on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He didn't say keep your focus on how much money you can make. He didn't say keep your focus on me, myself, and I. He didn't say keep your focus on TV, radio, or the internet. He didn't say keep your focus on Facebook and social media. Because why? All those things tend to take your focus off Jesus. Come on. It takes time. And time is your most precious commodity. 
That's the one thing I hate about social media. It takes so much time. You can be on there for hours and don't even know it. Come on, are you with me out there? But he says there, keep your focus on who? Keep your focus on who? Jesus. And see, as a family, we have to keep our focus on who? Jesus. Make Jesus, listen to me now, make Jesus the center of our activity. Let me say it again. Make Jesus the center of our activity, not the bypass, not when I get a chance, not when I have time. Make him what? The center of our what? Activity. Make Jesus the center of our interest. And parents, you got to be careful of this because why? If they see you're not making Jesus the center of attention, center of activity, your children won't either. Are you with me out there? And when people see what Jesus has done in your family, folks, because you keep your family's focus on Jesus, they'll be drawn to you. Turn over, they'll be drawn to you. It goes on to say in verse 2, he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was in all his God's household. Talking about Jesus. And he was worthy of greater glory than Moses in the same way that the builder of, the, of a house has greater honor than the house itself. He says, after all, every house is built by somebody, but God is the what? God is the builder of what? Of everything. See, you, you may take the attempt or make an attempt to take credit of building your house, but God is the builder of everything. And God builds a house by one family at a time. And as long as you keep your family's focus on Jesus, God will build everything that you need. But you got to keep your family's focus on who? Jesus, that means you and your children, folks. You got to make Jesus the center of activity and center of interest. Because if not, you're going to lose your children. And we're going to be crying one day for your children. Why? Because you failed to make Jesus the center of their lives. Come on, if you make them the center, the Jesus center of their lives, when they leave you and go off, they'll keep that center. Are you following me out here? Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, brother. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. Notice what Paul says. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. In other words, he said, I don't realize that I'm, I realize I'm not perfect. I'm not going to sit up here and say that I have arrived. But he said, but, but, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus. I what? I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what, what? 
lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, as time goes on, families begin to hold on to things they shouldn't hold on to. And that's what causes a lot of separation in families. They focus on the hurts and pains and the disappointments of the past more than they focus on the good things that lie ahead. And some of the things the family does, some of the things family does to you, be real, some of the things family does to you hurts more than somebody you don't know. I'm not talking to anybody in this room. It hurts more. But you have to forget the past and look forward. Tell your neighbor, I got to forget the past and look forward. So we are to forget the past and look forward to what's before us. Come on. Before our families. When a family member, listen, when a family member makes a mistake, don't make it a death sentence. Come on, we almost put them in the ground. Cover them up ourselves. Come on, say amen, somebody. That's not what family's about. They said the body of Christ is the only one that steps over their wounded, tramples their wounded. Come on, say amen, somebody. See, our job is to lift up our family members. Our job is to forget about the mistakes they make and move on. Somebody say forget about it. And do what? And keep pressing for the prize, folks. Because why? Because when you focus on the past, you'll never see the future of your heavenly prize. And you think you're hurting them, but all you're doing is hurting yourself. Hallelujah. Go to Mark 3.23. I'm read this from New Living Translation also. Notice what Jesus says here. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm pretty sure y'all were encouraged while I was gone. But I'm the pastor right now. <laughs> We're bringing people to encourage you. Then we come back to the nitty gritty. <laughs> Mark 3, 23. Read the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? He asks. Verse 24. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. But from the New Living Translation, it says, verse 25, similarly, a family splintered by feuding will what? Fall apart. It is so sad to see families feuding over the past, feuding over land, feuding over all the things. Come on, say amen. Some, some people are still waiting for relatives to die. So they can get their land. Then the family fights over the land. And then it's in probate court for years and years and years because the family can't get together. 
Well, I'm preaching good in here. Why? Because feuding brings separation. And in time, both feuding parties will begin to fall apart because nothing good comes out of it. Nothing good comes out of it. That's why I said stop the feuding in the family, folks. I'm not talking, I'm talking about your immediate family also, you know. And your church family, because church folks fight amongst each other. There are some people in the room that you don't like somebody. So sometimes you sit on the other side of the room. You find out where they're sitting, I'm going to sit on this side. Because <laughs> just in case your flesh decides to act up. <laughs> and that's not what family is about, folks. Because why? He says, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, stay focused. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Tell your neighbor, be genuine. <coughs> Matthew 6, 5. I'm reading from the Message Bible. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, and when you come before God, don't turn and that don't turn that into a theatrical production either. <laughs> Come on, you see people like that, right? Come on, hallelujah. He said, don't turn that into a what? Theatrical production. It says, all these people make it a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, do you think God is, sits in the box seat? <laughs> then he says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. He shakadada. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And what will happen is the focus will shift from you to God. And you will begin to sense his grace. Oh, come on. See, in that quiet place, God is looking at your heart. He's looking at your simplicity, your honesty of your heart, folks. See, you're not trying to make others see how much you pray for your family. You're not trying to impress people with your holiness. Come on, say amen, somebody. And you're not trying to impress God. What you doing? You're just getting before God concerning your family, making sure your family is the center of your prayer. And what happened? Jesus says, if you do that, the focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. You want to sense his grace, change your focus, folks. Somebody say, change your focus. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Now, we're going to get back to talking about the end times, but that's, some, that's next week. <laughs> I haven't stopped talking about the end times. Amen. But not today. Today, we're talking about focus on the family. Reading from God's word, 
translation. Notice what it says here. Now, he's talking about the office of a deacon. But at the same time, he's talking about the conduct of the family. And we're going to see a lot of must. M-U-S-T. Must. Things you must do. Tell your neighbor, things you must do. Verse 8 says, deacons must also be of good character. They must not be two-faced or addicted to alcohol. They must not use shameful ways to make money. They must have clear consciences about possessing the mysteries of the Christian faith. Verse 10, first a person must be evaluated. Then if he has a good reputation, he may become a deacon. Now the Greek word for deacon here is, is diakoneo. And it means to be a servant. It means to be an attendant to wait upon. It means to wait at a table and offer food and drink to guests. It means a woman preparing food. It means to minister, supply food and necessities of life. It means to relieve one's necessity by collecting alms. To provide, to provide, take care of, distribute, and the, the, distribute the things necessary to sustain that person's life. It means to take care of the poor and the sick. It means to minister a thing to one and to serve one or by supplying anything. So we all should have the qualities of a deacon. What? What I just listed is like a job description. Come on, say amen, somebody. Then verse 11 states, their wives must also be of good character. And the opposite of that, their husbands must be of good character. <laughs> they must not be gossips. Who come my shit They must not be gossips. But they must control their tempers. <laughs> they must control their tempers and be trustworthy in every way. Somebody say every way. Then it said, Deacon must have only one wife. Or one husband. Then it says deacon must manage their children and their families well. In other words, your children don't have a say-so in a lot of things that you're allowed them to have say-so in. That's not child management. 
Because as you know, there's a lot of things your parents, as, as we were growing up, parents said, you, I, you are not doing. And what you're going to do. We didn't understand it at then, but as we look back, we're appreciative of what they told us we couldn't do. Because <laughs> it made us the people that we are today. But nowadays, we've gotten so loose trying to please our children, trying to make them happy, and trying to make them acceptable so they don't get mad at us. But you don't realize they're going to pay for that down the road. Because it's not good family management. And just like us, they'll understand down the road why you did the things you did. Why you said the things you did. And why they couldn't do the things that they wanted to do. But right now it says, right here, deacons must manage their children. That's your responsibility. That's part of the family's responsibility. Manage your children whether they get mad at you or not. Because they're going to get mad. They're going to get terribly upset. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but you're doing it because the word of God tells you to do it. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Verse 13, those deacons who serve well, it says, gain an excellent reputation and will have confidence as a result of their faith in Christ Jesus. It says those deacons who serve well, who what? Those who are always willing to help. Always willing to put their hands to the plow and not leaving it to somebody else to do. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. I'm talking about those that are first to show up and the last to leave. Because their heart is to take care of the family of God. He says here, your reputation will precede you. Oh, are you with me out here? And then he says it gives you confidence and it strengthens your faith. Let me read it from the Living Bible, verse 13. The Living Bible says in verse 13, those who do well as deacons will be well rewarded. Both by what? Respect from others. And also by what? Developing their what? own confidence and bold trust in the Lord. In other words, when I do the things I do as a deacon or serve other people, I'm developing my own confidence and my trust in God. I'm not worried about, everybody. you know, you find people working and they'll be doing something and they're looking at somebody else. Why aren't they doing anything? They focus on everybody else, but you just do what you're doing. God's going to bless you for what you're doing. Stop worrying about if they're not helping you or not. It's too many times people start working at church and somebody say, well, they sitting over there doing nothing. The Bible said you're the one getting rewarded. Why are you worried about them? They ain't getting nothing. 
You just do what God tells you to do. God's going to bless you for that. Say, neighbor, God's going to bless you for that. Look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse 7. This came up because I was seeing what Noah was willing to do for his family. I'm reading this from the God's Word translation also. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, faith led Noah to listen when God warned him about the things in the future that he could not see. Come on, he had bold confidence and trust in God. Because why? Because the attention to his family, folks. It says, faith led Noah to listen to God when God warned him about the future he could not see. See, God knows a future you cannot see, but when you have your focus on the right thing, God will show you things. He'll what? Show you things. But how far was he willing to go to and do for his family? It says he obeyed God, and he built a ship to do what? To do what? To do what? To save his family through faith, Noah condemned the world and received God's approval that comes through what? Faith. Noah was willing to build a whole ship to save his family. A whole what? Ship. What are you willing to do for your immediate family and your church family? What are you willing to sacrifice to focus on what God is focusing on? And God is focusing on the what? The family. Taking care of your family and not saying let somebody else deal with it. Oh, I'm preaching good in here. When are you going to take the initiative and do something for your family instead of always looking for your family to do something for you? Hallelujah. Now going back to 1 Timothy 3.14, God's word translation. 1 Timothy 3.14, he says, I hope to visit you soon. However, I'm writing this to you in case I am delayed. But he says, and notice what he says here. I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. Must what? Must live. God's family is the church of the living God. Then he said, it is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. God's church is supposed to be the pillar and the foundation of truth. Come on, the world should be able to come in here and say, that's what I call family. Come on, say amen, somebody. Why? Because they see how you live amongst each other. They see how you treat each other. They see how you take care of the needs of each other. Come on. They see how we work together as a family, not running out and leaving a family hanging, doing everything else. Oh, I'm preaching good in here. We have to take care of each other, folks. Because you know, you, you grown up, you said, if all fails, you should always have family. Your family is always going to be there for you. Because that's the way family's supposed to do. 
Come on, are y'all with me out here? Glory to God. Look at 1 Timothy 5.8. Reading from God's word. Come on, we're telling you, we got to take care of each other, folks. He says in 1 Timothy 5.8, because family takes care of each other. He said, if anyone doesn't take care of his own relatives, especially his immediate family, he is what? He is what? He is what? He is what? Denied the Christian faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Don't throw no stones. I'm just reading the word of God, folks. <laughs> Don't be worse than an unbeliever. And not show and demonstrate your servitude, not only to your immediate family, but your church family, folks. Why? Because in God's eyes, you have denied the Christian faith. In other words, you denied what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about family. It's about what? It's about what? It's about what? Family. But we got to start treating each other like family. Hallelujah. Because why? When family has a love amongst each other, you want to be around each other. You get encouraged by family. Are you with me out there? You know, just like when, when we go back to, you know, when we go back to Southfield or during a convention and, you know, we're around our, our brothers and sisters that we grew up with in the ministry and the ministers and pastors, we really enjoy each other's company. Promise laughs at us. Amen. Because we get, we get at a dinner table and all the pastors, you know, we grew up together. You know, we're the loudest one in the restaurant. <laughs> Amen. Glory. Because we have fun together. Amen. That's the way it's supposed to be when you come to church. You're supposed to be, be out. I can't wait to see the person again. Or I just want to be around the person. I just, you know, I just feel good when I'm around family. Not always running out saying, let me be the first one in the parking lot. Hello? Because we're what? Because we're what? Family is supposed to love on each other. Hallelujah. All heads about eyes closed in prayer.